Welcome into another edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. Glad to have you with us on this Anything Goes Wednesday. And on an Anything Goes Wednesday, we're going to turn back the clock exactly a day. Uh, Ted Davis and I sitting in for Mike Heller. We kind of brand this as a Tuesdays with Ted. This isn't the full show, but these are the highlights. These are some of the excerpts. And I had a lot of fun doing the show with Ted Davis as I do most Tuesdays throughout the football season because Mike Heller works on the Badgers broadcasts as well as the Packers broadcasts. And he needs a day off. So we pull Ted Davis out of retirement and we have some fun with him. So we uh, kind of bill that as Tuesdays with Ted. And I wanted to give you some of the highlights. And we started talking about the Brewers' hot start when we began yesterday's show. And everybody was pointing to it. And when there were some, well, the hitting's not quite there yet. Yeah, but the pitching is. Oh, and look at that bullpen. But don't worry about the hitting. It should come around. And all of the, uh, the, the, the folks that like to point to statistics to kind of lean on a little bit. And is there historical significance to this great start that the Brewers have gotten off to? It's like, yeah, but seasons aren't 50 games. Seasons are 162 games. And this is not a great trend. And the Cardinals hadn't caught, hadn't gotten hot yet either. I mean, you look at what St. Louis wasn't doing offensively with the murderer's row that they have right now. And they've got, you know, an MVP candidate in Paul Goldschmidt that, that uh, you know, hadn't gotten really, really hot yet. Is it true that, is it actually possible that we will never see Yadier Molina play a game in Milwaukee again? Is he actually going to retire? That's the word on the straight. But guys, as you know, have been... I uh, thought, to, you know what, do I, do I really think I'm done? Maybe I have one more year left. Some guys have retired for a little while. Actually, the season has started. Sometimes an entire season is gone, Rob Gronkowski. And then they decided to come back. And Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Well, he retired <laughs> for 44 days. I remember back way back in the day, Jim Palmer had retired. Now, he didn't make it all the way back. But Jim Palmer had already been retired for at least five years because he was actually in the Hall of Fame. And he was attempting a comeback with the Orioles in spring training. So some yeah. guys just get that itch. A pretty cool moment for the Cardinals, though, yesterday. They, uh, they got Pujols, they got Molina, and they got Wainwright on the mound as the manager came out. And he removed all three of them from a game, and they got to walk off the mound all three together, all three retiring. Those are two, well, three really good players that played for them for a long time. Yeah, and Albert Pujols coming back and finishing his career, his Hall of Fame career, 700-plus home run career with the St. Louis Cardinals after a decade away. I mean, he left after the 2011 season and was wandering in the weeds in Los Angeles with the Angels, never really captured the same glory that he had with the Cardinals. Uh, eventually they DFA'd him and the Dodgers wound up picking him up and then said, I got one more, one more season left to go and it's going to be in St. Louis. And he went out with a bang and I think it was rightfully so. I think all three of those guys, I, I'm, for sure, Molina and Pujols are obvious first ballot Hall of Famers. I think Wainwright's there too. Yeah. Um, so Packers are going to go off to London this week. They play the Giants, maybe getting another break. And this is what you look for. You look for the breaks. It looks like maybe the uh, Mac Jones, the quarterback for the Giants, might not be able to play. He's got an ankle injury, so that'd be two weeks in a row where not only did the Packers not have to play the first-string quarterback for the Patriots, but it got down to the third-string quarterback, and uh, the game was still competitive, and it was a ho-hum win. But not every not every game is a work of art. Mm-hmm. Some games are like your child's you know, finger painting that you put on the refrigerator. <laughs> But it's still a win, and so it was a non-conference game, and they win it, and they move on, and now they go to London for an 8.30 kickoff. 
a.m. What time does your thing start? Four. Now, normally <laughs> it would start at three, but Red Hot uh, p- took some mercy on me and said, why don't we just start at four instead of three? I'm like, okay, wait a minute. You. I know we've got to do it because, you know, sponsors are involved and everything, but uh, seriously, who's going to get up at four o'clock in the morning? No, no offense, Doug. No offense. No oh, offense. I'm expecting everyone up. If I got to be up, you got to be up. Let's go. Come on now. <laughs> okay, uh, get up with Doug at 4 a.m. and you know, you'll be ready for the 8.30 kickoff. This is going to be kind of cool, though, because it will be like one of the great joys uh, of, of being a sports fan is in the summer when they play the British Open and you get up mm-hmm. at 8 o'clock in the morning and they're playing competitive golf and you can have some breakfast and coffee and watch a sporting event. Well, that's what's going to happen on Sunday. You can get up. You can maybe have uh, a margarita. You can have a Bloody Mary. You can have a mimosa. And at 8.30, you're sitting there watching the Packers play. Well, a lot of people have made fun of me for enjoying European soccer over the last 10 years or so. But my wife has historically worked in the fall on Saturday mornings. And, you know, I love live sports at weird times. And you flip on NBC and, oh, it's the Premier League. So, all right, I'll sit down and watch some Ted Lasso. And I, I... just start to enjoy it. And then there's breakfast at Wimbledon is a whole thing and has been a whole thing in late June, early July here in the States. So, yeah, I love live sports at weird times. And now we just get to see the Packers for the first time at a very weird time. I wonder what that's going to do to church attendance in Wisconsin. Uh, Kill it. Yeah. Yeah. God, you're going to take the day off. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Jesus. You get get on the you're on the inactive list. There was a great Simpsons episode where um, Homer w- didn't want to go to church and Marge was wanting him to go to church. And he was having this discussion with God. Homer was Homer was talking mm-hmm. to God and Homer was saying, you know, I just I want to sit at home and I just want to sit on the couch and watch football. And God says to Homer, Homer, I'm going to tell you something I've never told anybody else. Sometimes I'd like to take Sunday off, too, and watch football. (laughs) I know some people are going to say, well, should I go to church or should I watch the Packers? And the obvious answer is, what's the difference? It's the same thing. It's the church of football. Come on now. Oh, it's already correction uh, Tuesday here. Oh, criminy. What now? 799-1973. It's Daniel Jones. Which one is it? Daniel Jones is on the... Yeah, Daniel Jones is on the, uh, the, he's the Giants quarterback, and Mac Jones is the uh, Patriots quarterback. <laughs> yeah, let me, let me do something here. Okay, I'll get this ready. All right. Well, it's hard to keep up with the Joneses. Oh, nice. That's all I got. That's well done. Well played. <laughs> well done, Ted. See, I bought this board, and it's, it's rather expensive, but one thing they have is they have sound effects in here. Nice. And That's- you cut me loose. You cut me loose with sound effects, and you never know what you're going to get. Let me see. That's when I need my ego fed. And this is sure. when I say something like, I'm trying to keep up with the Jones. No, that's not it. Uh, the wrong I, button. I, I hit the wrong button. See, so now sometimes there have been times when I don't know when you're needing, when, when you're going to need the band to, you know, the drummer to hit the rim shot because, you know, it's a small studio. The drummer's, you can't see him. He's over in the corner. And it's hard for me to cue him right away when, when you need that. So if you have that cue right in, you know, right in front of you. Yeah, we'll be talking uh, Packers today, of course, as they uh, head off to London. And we now know the buyout figure for Paul Christ. And he took a discount, apparently, but there are probably reasons behind that. Um, ESPN says the buyout is $11 million. So, look, Paul Christ is a good guy. He's a Wisconsin guy. He's a terrific human being. 
but don't feel sorry for him. There are no hard landings in coaching for the most part. Mm-hmm. He's going to get $11 million. Yep. It's more money than you and I will ever see. Yep. You'll probably get hired again some someplace, maybe as an assistant coach first, and then a head coach again. He'll get another chance. But I think in looking back at what happened this year, when you go back to McCarthy and his last year in Green Bay, you could just tell that there was something stale mm-hmm. going on. And I think they had gotten to that point with Paul Christ. And it's so unwisconsin like to make a move during the season, but apparently getting beat down and getting beat down the way they did by Brett Bielema was too much for Chris McIntosh to bear. So the move was made. It's not even so un-Wisconsin like. It's that it's unprecedented. We've never seen it before. And you know, it's funny. Billy Schmidt and I were doing the local post game show uh, after the Badgers beat down against Illinois, uh, getting beaten down by Brett Bielema. And as we're crossing Dayton Street, heading over to Union South, Billy turns to me and says, "It kind of feels like McCarthy against the Cardinals, doesn't it?" And I said, yep. "Yeah, it does." But I'm not. I don't know that they're going to pull the trigger now. Now, um, you listen to to Mike Keller, who's normally on here. He was absolutely a thousand percent convinced that this is a December decision. And I didn't think that it was necessarily going to happen on Sunday. I didn't think it was going to be an early October decision, but I'm like, I don't know if it's a December decision because there are going to be some other ramifications that you've got to think about. And I think you're right. There there was just a a staleness. And I I threw out this statistic yesterday and I put it out on Twitter that since they won the the Orange Bowl after the 2017 season, Wisconsin had started five straight seasons ranked, usually in the mid-teens, somewhere in there, give or take. And in only one of those seasons did they end the season ranked. They started the season, I think it was in 2019, when they went to the Rose Bowl. They started the season 14, and they wound up 13th. Every other season, the last four years under Paul Christ, they started the season in the mid-teens and ended the season unranked. That's not a good trend. No, and Mike Keller has used this line before, and I think it's a good one, that the college playoff system is a gated community. It is. And there are only a few teams that are inside that gate, and a program like Wisconsin is outside of the gate. And I think given the lay of the college landscape, they may have a hard time ever getting into that gated community. It is expanding, which is going to help, but you want to at least compete. And the Badgers, unfortunately to me this year, they weren't, in their last two games, just flat-out uncompetitive. Yeah, and the offensive line is not as good as it has been. Yep. The defense, it's it's not as good as it was the last couple of years. And let's face it, Graham Mertz has never lived up to the hype of a five-star recruit coming out of high school. He just hasn't. No, he hasn't. I mean, there's no... I, that's math. That's not even an opinion. That's just mathematics. Um, so, I, and, and Billy made this point on the post game show, and I hadn't really thought about it. It's like, okay, he was a five star recruit coming out of Kansas. Ted, you live in Texas. Mm-hmm. Something different about a five star t- kid coming out of Texas or Florida or California as opposed to Kansas. I'm not saying that Graham Mertz didn't have talent in in high school, and I'm not saying that he doesn't have talent right now. I am saying that. Man, he's made some poor decisions throwing the football this year. And he will say, I'm just trying to make a play. I'm just trying to make a play. I'm just trying to make a play. And I I get that. And I think that he's a decent leader for this team. The guys all seem to like him. But he he does make some head-scratching decisions. There were also some head-scratching decisions that were made 
you know, from the coaching staff as well. Why was Braylon Allen not on the field? Why is Braylon Allen your when he's not your feature running back? He should be. He's a Heisman Trophy candidate going into the season. Obviously, that's not the case anymore. But going into the season, he was after an incredible freshman year. And Braylon Allen's being used in the Wildcat, whereas Isaac Garendo and Ches Malusi are getting the bulk of the carries. I, I, I just I don't understand what what that coaching decision was like. So now that Jim Leonard is in charge, I'm wondering what changes, what tangible changes we're going to be, be seeing as far as the offensive play calling is concerned. Because when Bobby Ankrum was brought in as the offensive coordinator, you're like, okay, there, there's going to be some wrinkles. There's going to be something maybe a little bit different that we haven't seen over the years. So far, the other returns haven't been great. And if you felt that Jim Leonard was your guy in the future, then why not go ahead and elevate him now? If you think maybe at some point you're going to lose him now, you can also say, okay, should they look outside of the program? And the name I keep hearing involved in some big name jobs now is at Kansas, mm-hmm. Wisconsin background, Lance Leipold. Yep. Yeah. And- I, there's going to be a bidding war for him. It's, I think the odds on uh, the, the odds of him uh, wearing red next year are very, very strong. Will it be in Madison or will it be in Lincoln? I don't know. So, uh, you know, they, they move on and look, uh, Paul Christ will be fine. If I had $11 million, I know I'd be fine. You know, it takes the sting out of getting fired a little bit. 11 mil. Uh, yeah. Uh, right. Brad, Brad and Sheboygan, uh, and, and he's got a little gossip here. He says, uh, that Giselle and Tom have hired divorce lawyers reportedly. Uh Oh, 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 that's going to be expensive. Uh, trouble that's going to be and- real spendy. How, who would he might get more of uh, he might get more alimony than she will get? Well, especially if he's retiring, right? Well, no, he's going to Fox. He's going to get a big payday from Fox. So I wonder how spousal support is going to go. There was a <laughs> there's an old Saturday Night Live skit when Donald and Ivana Trump uh, were divorcing. So this is well before his political career. But there's an uh-huh. SNL skit how they're giving each other like gold doors and things like that, and it was. Uh, <laughs> I mean, when you're that rich, how do you divide it all up? Because she makes a boatload of money, too, but he likes playing football and doesn't want to give it up, apparently. I guess he can play another year, then. You know what? In in that situation, if you're both of them, you just say, we're going to split it 50-50, and we're both going to be fine, and any future earnings that you make and any future earnings that I make, it's yours and mine. There's no joint money anymore. We just split it 50-50 and we're done. Yeah, I don't know. Now, are they going to get divorced? What state are they going to get divorced in? They've got a house in California. They've got a house. I think they probably sold the one in Massachusetts, but they've been living in Florida uh, since he uh, got to the Buccaneers a couple of years ago. Every state has different divorce laws. Yeah. Um, here's something that I want to I propose to juice up NFL games. Not that they need it. But I think this would be really fun. Um, I want in every game, I want one fan to be selected. And the NFL will put out some money for it. You pay this fan, I don't know, $20,000, $25,000. You get a sponsor for this. And he gets to run out on the field during the game and get pounded to the turf the way Bobby <laughs> Wagner and that other dude did last night. I just want to see that. And I, I'm telling you, it'd be like the movie Jackass. I guarantee you, you would have people lining up to do it. <laughs> Probably. A lot of them are Bills fans that like, you know, it's like, hey, we don't have to destroy a table anymore. All right, let's run out onto the field and get blasted upside the head. I like it. 
<laughs> I like it. That's a great idea. And the pink smoke was a good touch, too. You know, points for creativity. I mean, you don't normally see that. Sometimes, occasionally, you'll see a streaker, but we haven't. That that hasn't really been a thing for a long time. Um, yeah, I, you want to see some creativity. You want to see you know points for that. Absolutely for the uh, for the for the smoke bomb. For you youngins out there that don't even know what streaking is, this became a this became a nationwide craze in about the mid seventies. And it was on college campuses. And at the time, I was living in Denton, Texas. I was working radio there. And it has a college there. It was North Texas State at the time. And it's now University of North Texas. And it became a thing. Like, every Friday night, people would line up on this main road right through campus. And people would run down the street naked. Hmm. That was it. Yeah, That was streaking. And you'd all stand there and smoke whatever you were smoking and drink whatever you were drinking <laughs> and somebody had run by and you'd go, Hey dude, way to go. You know? And he's, he's, he's jiggling and wiggling and like Will Ferrell in old school. She comes by bouncing along and that was it. We're and it was, a, it, it was, the, it was a thing for about, I don't know, six months. And then it went away and that was it. It was gone forever. Did you ever hear Yogi Berra be asked about the streakers that were at Yankee stadium one night? <laughs> no, what did he say? So there were a couple of streakers. Um, actually, I think it was just one streaker. And somebody asked, so was it a, a, a man or a woman? You know, he thought about it and said, I don't know, there's a bag over their head. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, and there was a bag over their head. <laughs> uh, some numbers on the Packers defense. This is from uh, Matt Schneidman. He covers the Packers for the Athletic. And he's getting his numbers from uh, at True Media Sports. Let me see who they are. Analytics platform metrics. Okay, they're an analytics um, site. Okay, here we go. About the Packers defense. Uh, Packers on run defense. Uh, Yards rush allowed on first and second down. 5.26 per per carry. That's 29th in the NFL. Yards after contact rush allowed. 3.36. That's 25th. Hmm. Percentage of opponents rushes for no gain or loss, 17.6. That's 22nd. And he notes that NFL's leading rusher, uh, Barkley, is up next. So when I watch the Packers' defense, the eyeball test tells me that they're better, but the numbers don't necessarily prove it. Am I missing something about the defense? No, I. there's a theory that Devondre Campbell isn't as aggressive this year as he was last year when he was a first-team All-Pro. Um, you know, he made that great play on the two-point conversion against Tampa Bay that saved the game. So I, I don't know that there's been a whole lot of focus on that, but it is something that I have heard. Uh, so that's a possibility. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, they've had a couple of injuries, but every team has a couple of injuries here and there. Jair Alexander had to miss some time. Uh, when he got hurt during game, but it doesn't appear to be anything that's hampering his ability and, and shouldn't hamper his ability the rest of the season. But he's one of their best defensive players as well. So, I mean, it's through four games. There's a long way to go, and the Packers' defense is expected to be one of the best defensive units in the entire NFL. I just think that, uh, you know, look, the 3-1, the and one, it hasn't been, as Aaron Rodgers would put it, a sustainable way to to win football games, but there is a lot of football left to be played. Uh, Sunday, Aaron Rodgers looked like he was having an off day until he wasn't, and that that's the that's the gift of a really talented player. Where all of a sudden you can put it together. Oh, he was, was a, missing. It was a putrid was, first half. He was missing some receivers. He didn't look sharp, and then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter he was, and that's where having a superstar pays off. And and they won a game that 
they very easily could have lost against a third string quarterback. And uh, let's see the the Giants are working out quarterbacks. Uh, AJ McCarron apparently has worked out. Okay. Jake, Jake Fromm oh, has worked out. So there you go. When was it the last time be... AJ McCarron took an NFL snap? He was with the Bengals for a little while, but yeah, I have no idea. A snap. But I didn't realize their second string quarterback is in concussion protocol. Yep, Tyrod Taylor. And Jones may not be able to go. There was somebody on the uh somebody on the text line at 414-799-1973 said Ryan Fitzpatrick may even be a possibility for them. Could the bearded wonder come back one more time? He went to Harvard, you know. Um <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't played for the Giants yet, so if he wants to complete the entire 32-team loop, you know, he can knock off another one if you'd like, but he says he's retired. He's, I think, if if I'm not mistaken, and if I'm wrong, God knows somebody's going to correct me on the talking text line, but I think he went into the NFL the same year that Aaron Rodgers did in 2005. Um, so that that's coming up on Sunday, and sometimes you get breaks like this where uh, injuries hit the other team at a key spot, and that, that, of course, would be quarterback. And so they may be down to a third-string quarterback for the Giants on Sunday morning for that 8.30 uh, kickoff uh, central time. So, again, we want to remind you that uh, Doug will be on with his pregame show at 4 a.m., so please set your alarm. Okay, please. I would appreciate it. Thank you. Please and thank so, you. Do you have a lot of pre-recorded stuff? Because I can't imagine that you're going to get a live guest on that show. There might be some pre-recorded uh, elements to that program. Mark Daniels, by the way, he's going over to London and we will, I will talk to him before he leaves. So the usual, usually we have the entire second uh, hour of the two hour program, which is truncated down to one hour. That whole second hour is Mark live who joins me um, either from green Bay. Well, he's always in green Bay. Sometimes he's in person. Sometimes he's not. We will actually pre-tape that before he leaves. So that, that element to the show, it'll be a shortened conversation, but that element of the show will be recorded. Uh, the Packers are going to arrive in London on Friday, which is always a good idea. I remember in 2014 when we went over to London to play and they played the Knicks. Uh, Jason Kidd took the team over, oh, I can't remember, like two days before the game. And it really is an adjustment time-wise when you go there because you stay up all night mm-hmm. and you arrive in London about 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. So you've lost the night of sleep. And the Knicks came over later and boy, they were just so flat-footed to start that game. So you need to get over there and get acclimated to the different time. And they've got promotional things that they'll be doing over there. They'll have, they'll take them around. And we did that. We went to London London Bridge and took pictures. And so they'll be doing all of that. And then they'll play at two thirty in the afternoon, uh, London time on Sunday. So it's really not that much different than your normal Sunday game for the players once they get there. Will they have time to stop by for some tea with Chuck? The uh, yeah. uh, why not yeah. you know yeah. sure why not i mean i i was looking forward to you know tea with the queen but the queen has has uh left the building as they say so long live the king yeah i'd already um, started some elements I, I i'd already pulled some god save the queen and i'm like how oh, i gotta change that now don't i doesn't it apply the same song would 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 be viable for or do they have a king song do they have a king yeah, song that's the well it's instead of god save the queen it's god save the king Okay. It's the exact same melody. It's just one word has changed. But for 70 years, it was God Save the Queen. And as soon as it was announced, the uh, folks that were assembled around Buckingham Palace in unison, they they started singing God Save the King. And like, oh, well, that's jarring. That's the first time I've ever heard that. 
Uh, if he wanted to modernize that a little bit, he could use the Tom Petty song, It's Good to Be King. Oh, yeah, he could. Yeah. We should suggest that to him. Uh, he he says in the song, it helps to meet girls. So Yeah, I mean, if he's the king, it's, it's, he's the king. Um, you, know, you know, Camilla's the queen consort, and, you know, it's not like every king over the course of history has always been the most faithful in the world. <laughs> Henry VIII would come to mind. Sure. Yeah. Look it up. Google it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, my first radio job was in 1973-ish. I was 17 years old, and I got a job at a radio station in Denton, Texas, just north of Dallas-Fort Worth. And they put me on to a 7 to midnight disc jockey shift on cool country 1440 KDNT. Nice. And one of my jobs was to listen to really twangy country music for uh, five hours a night as a 17, 18-year-old kid. And one of the big, 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 big stars was Loretta Lynn. Nobody was bigger in country music at the time and maybe since. I mean, she may be the queen of country music all time. Well, she passed away today, uh, 90 years old. Loretta Lynn passed away. She had many hits. Coal Miner's Daughter comes to mind. Um, Don't Come Home Drinking was another great song. But one of my favorites was a duet with Conway Twitty, and it's entitled You're the Reason Our Kids Are Ugly. Here we go. The tribute to Loretta Lynn. Well, you're the reason I'm riding around on recap tires. And you're the reason I'm hanging our clothes outside on wars. And you're the reason our kids are ugly, little darling. Overlooks ain't everything. The money ain't It's kind of a sweet song. Yeah, it is. The reason I've changed the beer from soda pop. You're ugly, but I still love you. Yeah. And you're the reason I never get to go to the beauty shop. You're the reason our kids are ugly, little darling. Other looks ain't everything. And money ain't everything. But I love you just the same. And as part of that song, there is a positive message. It's kind of like the the Beatles. Money can't buy you love. So there you go. That was Conway Twitty and Loretta Lynn. She passed away today at the age of 90. Did a movie about her starring Sissy Spacek called Coal Miner's Daughter. Uh, She married a husband named uh, Doolittle Lynn. And if I were him and she was making all the money, I would have been living up to my name. I'd I'd do very little. (laughs) Well, she was the queen, so... His, his her husband's like the Prince Philip of the uh, of the, the only wo- the only woman of of that era that I think could come close was Dolly Parton. She was really really a big star at that time, and of course she had a, a certain asset that uh, what do you mean? stood out as you as you might about? say. Uh, then went into movies. She was in Nine to Five, and there was a classic moment when she was on the old Tonight Show with uh, the legendary Johnny Carson, who had the greatest uh, greatest comedy timing ever. And what this is, and I think Doug's going to be able to uh, pull it up here in a minute. Uh, <laughs> what do they call that when you grew up in Tennessee? Hang on, I want to set this up. Okay. Hang on, I want to set this up. Back it up. Uh, she got to talking about how, well, you know, she was she had this attribute that men just seemed to stare at, and she didn't know why men would do that. And this conversation with Johnny Carson ensued about her uh, her attribute. Here you go. You've always been rather uh, zoftic. Uh, <laughs> what would they call that where you grew up in Tennessee? You know? I, uh, 
Exotic, I can't uh, say. Healthy? Yeah. Healthy, I guess. Yeah. Uh, um, blues of me. What did you ask me just before that? Have you <laughs> always... Used... Well, oh, the... well, yeah. Well, young, I've always I mean... been uh, pretty well blessed. People are always uh, asking if they're real. And, oh, I, no, I would uh, never. I would <laughs> I never, you see. No, you don't have to ask. I would not. I'll tell you what. These are my... I have certain guidelines on <laughs> But I would give about a year's pay to peek under there. <laughs> One of the great moments on Johnny Carson. I'd give a year. And Johnny at that time was making a lot of money, by the way. Yeah, I know. So were his ex-wives. <laughs> yeah. That was one of his jokes that he made repeatedly. I'd give a year's pay to peek under there. Uh, <laughs> oh, Dolly. And is there a more beloved person in in uh, country music right now than Dolly Parton? Oh, no. just so much reverence for her. Well, and, and she she played this part as this ditzy blonde who, you know, was kind of an airhead. And yet she turned out to be a, a very, very shrewd business person. And she, I think her net worth now is close to a billion dollars with everything she's done with Dolly world and all the merchandising she's done. So within that blonde head was a very calculating brain that made a lot of money for her. Yeah. I think it's Dolly Wood. So before somebody wants to correct on the talk of the text line, I'm going to beat you to the punch. So save, you know, you can save your fingers. Uh, Yeah. No, I mean, it's, and she's from Knox, the Knoxville area in Tennessee, I believe. And um, boy, I tell you what, I, I when I was a kid, every Sunday night, Hee Haw was on, and I don't know how many appearances she made, but they, they were they were sizable and they were uh, voluminous. And I'm not just talking about the appearances. Uh, before we go to break, I, yeah, I know what you're talking about there. I'd give a year's pay to peek under there. Um, uh, there was a great photo. There's a, 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 a Twitter site called Super 70 Sports. I don't know if you oh, yeah. it. Oh, of course. Super 70 Sports. A must, a must follow. Uh, there's a picture that they had over the weekend. It was a tweet, and it's from Ahmad Rashad's wedding. Oh, God, I saw it. To Felicia Allen, who became Felicia Rashad. And it was in 1985 at his wedding, and he had two grooms <sighs> side by side with him. They were Bill Cosby and O.J. Simpson. <laughs> The company you keep. (laughs) Mm, Man, there's trouble in paradise. This, according to the New York Post, and this is from page six. It's official. Oh, it's official now. Yeah. Tom Brady and Giselle hired divorce lawyers amid marital woes, Mm. sources say. You know, if those two kids can't make it. (laughs) Who can? (laughs) (laughs) There's no hope for any of us. Uh, Tom Brady and Giselle seem to be heading for the end zone. Oh, isn't that clever? Uh, I see what they did there. Yeah, that was good. Both have retained divorce lawyers. Multiple sources tell page six. Uh, As previously revealed, the couple have been living separately for the past couple of months following an epic fight. And they're now apparently looking at dividing up their million-dollar, multi-million-dollar empire. I never actually thought this argument would be the end of them, but it looks like it is. One source tells page six. I don't think there will be any coming back now. They both have lawyers and are looking at what a split will entail, who gets what and what the finances will be at looking at there. Apparently they're looking for a divorce in Florida because it's got better divorce because um, they live all over. They've got a place yeah. in New York, got a place in Montana. 
Uh, they got a place. Uh, well, who, I mean, who gets the place in Montana? Who gets the place in New York? Who gets the place in Los Angeles? Who get? I mean, when you've got that many homes, but if it's just an argument over Tom playing football again, I mean, he's made every indication. That's probably it. He's forty-five years old. Yeah. I mean, can't you just wait a couple of months? Is it is it that much of an argument? Is it is it irrevocably uh, irrevocably broken? That they can't get together after he does call it quits. I don't yeah. know. I'm not. Uh, they're 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 America's couple. We don't have kings and queens over here in the United States, but we have Tom and Giselle. Come on now. If Chuck and Die can't make it, I don't think anybody can make it. But there are Chuck and Die. Says they have a 26 million dollar property portfolio that they'll have to divide. Brady's estimated net worth has swelled from 180 million to 250 million. According to Forbes magazine, she may be worth at least that. Oh, yeah. Or, or maybe more. Uh, let's see. What did I want to find? So, oh, uh, Giselle's favorite property is believed to be their remote home in Costa Rica, where the families often took vacations. Well, she's going to get that one. Yeah. You got to give her something. Who gets, you know, they have to divvy up the private jets, I'm sure. So, I mean, there's a lot to go through. But, you know, there's a saying, Ted, do you know why divorces are so expensive? Why? Because they're worth it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Here's something that I saw on Twitter that puts some perspective on things. Uh, Sunday, Romeo Dobbs, the rookie, caught Rogers' 500th touchdown pass on Sunday. Romeo Dobbs was seven years old when Aaron Rodgers threw his first NFL touchdown. (laughs) So when these rookies come in to rookie camp and they say, ah, I grew up watching Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is my childhood hero. You know, for for a lot of years, you thought, well, you might have watched him maybe in high school and certainly throughout. No, no, no. These are children that uh, grew up watching Aaron Rodgers, the Badgers, did I ever tell you that? I know we've told the story on the air, but John Torchio, who plays safety for the Badgers, uh, he comes from a family that went to Cal, and his father and grandfather both played quarterback at Cal, and he just wanted to go to Wisconsin. He just, it was, his sister went to Wisconsin. Uh, He had a scholarship offer from Cal, but he decided that he wanted to walk on at Wisconsin anyway. So he's telling the story about his father and his grandfather, and I just said, you know, kind of put two and two together one Monday when we had media availability with the Badgers about a month ago or so, and asked him, do you remember Aaron Rodgers? Are you old enough to remember Aaron Rodgers when he was quarterback in Cal? He's like, got a funny story for you. Uh, Aaron Rodgers came over to my house to babysit us and to do some yard work when we were kids. <laughs> like, what? And it was a story that we didn't know about, but apparently that, you know, the $100 handshakes, well, he and one of his teammates, the punter, Aaron Rodgers' teammate, the punter, Uh, They had this window washing business to earn a couple of extra bucks, and they hit up all the alumni that used to play football, and one of them was Jay Torchio, John Torchio's father. So, yes, Aaron Rodgers used to babysit a Wisconsin Badger. You know, I got that quite a bit in my time in Milwaukee, where Armin's one of those guys. Really? Armin Sarian, as a kid, listened to me doing Bucks games, and that's one of the reasons he became a Bucks fan. So, yeah, I was around 20, almost 25 years in Milwaukee, so you can see that, you know, some kids would grow up in the same listening to me by the way speaking of rogers and cal i've been meaning to bring this up what did cal do to aaron Rodgers to piss him off so much that every time they're on sunday night football and they do that thing where you know they show the aaron Rodgers from he says butte college what what did cal berkeley do to him 
I don't know. I want to dig into that. Um, who was the coach when he was? Uh, Tedford. Jeff Tedford. Yeah, Jeff Tedford. Yeah. They fired him, and I know that he wasn't very happy about that. So I don't know if that's it, and he still holds that grudge. Well, um, he do, he doesn't hold a grudge. No, no, <laughs> no. He's he's got he's got a very short short memory, Ted. I don't know what you're talking about. But he never says Cal Berkeley. It's always Butte Junior College or whatever he says. It's, yeah. it's Butte Butte Community College, Chico, California. Um, that he went there first before because he didn't get any scholarship offers. Believe it or not, one of the greatest quarterbacks of I all know. time. It's almost like Tom yeah. Brady lasting until the sixth round of the 2000 NFL draft, taking 199th. Sometimes these guys just mature at different times. And Aaron Rodgers got no scholarship offers coming out of high school, so he had to go to Butte Community College in Chico, California, prove himself there for a couple of years. And that's when Jeff Tedford plucked him, went to Cal, and then a few years later, Tedford got fired. And I know Rodgers wasn't happy about that, but again, I don't know if that's the impetus of him eschewing, saying that he's from the University of California. I don't know. Uh, you want to you want to feel better about things though. You want to feel better. I do about because a lot of things. Brewer season is over, and uh, everybody's feeling bad about this. So I saw this on Twitter. This is a survey of NBA general managers. Okay, those are the people that make up the teams, and they know a lot. They they know what they're talking about. And uh, the GM survey team to win the NBA championship this year. Your Milwaukee Bucks, there according to the NBA GMs. Well, they still have the talent. They don't have the drama that some of those other teams have. I mean, Philadelphia is full of drama. Boston's obviously full of a lot of drama, a lot of it that we didn't even know about. Brooklyn is always full of drama. Uh, Miami doesn't have as much as some of those other teams, and they're obviously a really talented team as well. But I think last year, the reason, one of the reasons that it's so hard, and you know this as well as anyone, to repeat is because of how deep the season goes and how much nonsense there is for the defending champions during the offseason because you've got to take the trophy and go everywhere on God's green earth with it, and I think that takes a toll on the guys. Well, here's one thing I wonder about because um, in the championship season, it went longer. It didn't end until July 20th. That's a month longer. And then Giannis didn't have a lot of recovery time, went through the grinding season of last year, then went and played for the Greek team this summer. Yeah, I didn't love that. And now back in training camp for another long grind to get to next June. And I know he seems indestructible and he's got that superhuman body, but at some point you do need a break. And so I wonder if at some point he's going to run out of gas this year. That may be a factor. That may be a factor. Uh, he's still dealing with the sore knee and he's not 19 anymore. And the other thing about last year is you had Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday also playing in the Olympics as well. So I think that took some of the juice out of the Bucks, especially in the early part of the season. Brooke Lopez wasn't uh, healthy for much of the year as well. But, you know, getting back to Giannis for a second, I, I know that he wanted to play with his brothers. I know that he wanted to play for his country. I respect that. But just didn't love it. I mean, because he does, every athlete, every elite athlete does need to have some downtime as opposed to playing nonstop basketball 12 months a year. Uh, there was a thing that I had Doug pull. It's Giannis at media day a few days ago. And by the way, the, uh, the team is now in Abu Dhabi. They're going to play their exhibition games over there. And pretty soon they'll be starting the regular season. And uh, this is why we love Giannis. When you have, I, I was told many years ago by several GMs and I heard it from quite a few of them that when you have a player like a Michael Jordan, or a Magic Johnson, or a Larry Bird, or 
LeBron James or any of the greats. Steph Curry is in there now. And Giannis is now at that category. When you have that player and if he stays healthy, before the season even, even begins, you can pencil in 50 wins. Okay? That's where you are. You're a 50-win team right now. And then it's how lucky do you get? How do you avoid injury? What do the other players that you've put around Giannis do? Can you get to 60 or above? And the Bucks did that in Mike Budenholzer's first season when they went to 60 wins. Uh, so that's where the Bucks are right now. As long as Giannis is here and as long as he's healthy, pencil in 50 wins. But Giannis is driven, and we, we've known that since the time he got here. And at Media Day, he had this talk about talent and drive and how it you know, how it coexists in the NBA. And here's what he said. Play it. It takes more than skills to be great. That's what people don't understand. You can be the most skillful person on earth, still don't make the NBA. The NBA is not about skills. It takes way more to be. Consistency. LeBron James, 20 years in the league. When you think about LeBron, you think about consistency. He's been great for 20 years. Think about MJ. Edge. About getting better. Obsession. Kobe. Obsession. Steph, KD, like, man, it's not just skills, man. People think it's not just skills, you know, and um, I can say uh, I'm, I'm not the most skillful. I don't have the best shot. I don't have the best dribble. Um, I, mean, I believe I'm a very good passer, underrated uh, passer I can create for my teammates, and I think that's my number one talent. But the thing that makes me uh, a step Further than people is the obsession and the discipline I have to, towards the game, not my my skills, you know. So yeah. And there you go. And that obsession has been there since, really since day one. But I think it kicked in in his third year. And uh, we're so lucky to have him as a superstar in Milwaukee. I've said before, I think he's the most likable superstar in all of sports today, and I mean every one of the sports. Uh, he's not angry. He's there was a thing on Twitter the other day where uh, he was at home and he is asking um, Google for jokes and Google was giving him <laughs> jokes and he was just cracking up. I mean, come on, that's just likable. It's, so, it's something you and I would do. I hope that, and I don't know that I don't think this is happening and I, and I hope it doesn't happen, but I hope that there never comes a point where Bucks fans take Giannis and his greatness and everything that you just mentioned as well, the likability, the he's the hardest working athlete I've ever been around. I hope that we never take that for granted. And I know that sometimes there's a tendency to, yeah, it's honest, you know, he'll be here forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, you hope that he's here. You hope that they run up a bunch of championships over the course of, of his career. But this is his 10th season. In the NBA. And that's mind-blowing to me. Uh, You'd love for another 10. But the odds of that happening, I mean, you talked about LeBron. LeBron's played for three teams now. I mean, he's bounced around a little bit. Um, Kobe didn't. Michael Jordan didn't. uh, Kevin Durant's played for three teams now. So you, you hope that he stays here. But I just hope that people never, ever forget how hard he works and what he means to this community and what it felt like on July 20th, 2021. Oh, I remember. Yeah, I remember. You had a good seat for it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, I, you know, I look back on that and uh, people ask me what was the best broadcast that I ever did. And a lot of people think 
or the or the biggest game that I was involved in. And obviously, when they won Game Six against Phoenix for the championship, that's that's the broadcast that stands out. I actually think a better broadcast was Game Five in Phoenix when Holiday had the steal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, yeah. that was a that was a great broadcast. I'm very proud of that one from start to finish. And then Game Seven in Brooklyn w- was just an extraordinary broadcast because. I had good material to work with, you know, and uh, that always it, helps because you caught a lot of bad, bad, your, your calls were great, but the basketball in front of you, not so much. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, when, when Durant launched that shot, like everybody else, I thought it was a three pointer and oh, heartbreak city, you know, you're going to lose by one. And then all of a sudden you realize he's wearing a size 18 shoe when on the street, he wears a 17. Come on. Ooh, man. These things happen. What, what can you do? And Listen, Kevin Durant's an elite athlete. He knows his uh, equipment better than anyone in the world. And so, listen, he's shot up how many three-pointers in his career? It wasn't a three-pointer. I don't I don't think at all about the, the foot on the line. It doesn't ever cross my mind because it was just a two-point shot that went in. It was a deep two-point shot, but it was a two-point shot. It's not like anybody got cheated out of anything. Apparently, coming soon. Professional pickleball. Oh, yeah, of course. The old person sport. My <laughs> my 82-year-old father plays pickleball three times a week down in the villages. Why? Because he lives in the villages, and that's the law. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, they're going to start a pro pickleball circuit. And this is no fly-by-night operation. I was, I was reading about this. People who have invested in this, okay? LeBron James. Of course. Drew Brees. Yeah, well, they're retired. Oh, he's retired. LeBron is going to be at some point. And Bucks owner Mark Lassery. Okay, I can see it. Yeah. So these are smart businessmen who know where to put their money, and apparently they think that this thing has a future. I don't know if they're going to have young people playing pickleball, which would sort of defeat the purpose, but I would have an old people's pickleball league, and it, it will soon be coming to ESPN. I guarantee them to you. I, as long as we're talking about laws, I don't think that I think that there should be a law, and if I were the the king of all world uh, sports. Uh, pickleball, the minimum age, minimum to even pick up a pickleball paddle, fifty five. Fifty five. Fifty five. Yeah. When you can get the uh, the discount at the movie theater. Yeah. Oh, I love that. By the way, <laughs> never thought I would, but now I just love it. I walk up there and I'm proud of it. I said, "Give me a senior citizen discount, if you will, please." You fight it your whole, and when you're young, when like before you turn, say, I don't know, eighteen or twenty-one or twenty-five, you want to be thought of as older. And then when you get you start hitting some of those milestones, thirty, you're like, "Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not a kid anymore." You hit forty. Forty is when stuff starts to break. Uh, at least that was my experience, and I, I've in a month I've got a milestone coming up, and I'm I'm, I'm starting to embrace it, and um, yeah. So then you know the AARP RP star, uh, cards are going to start uh, arriving at the house, and that senior citizen discount is it's coming up right right around the corner as well. So oh, we're well, getting you got there. you got you got some other things coming up. Wait till you have to apply for Medicare B. <laughs> right, like they force you. Look you don't have a choice. Okay, all right. I don't know it's, what they do. I, it's I don't coming. know if they would, I don't know if they'd send out the you know some patrol to <laughs> round you up if you didn't do it. But Probably. apparently you got to do it. And now you got to. There's an enrollment period for Medicare B now that you got to worry about. And uh, so oh, there's that. Great. And then and then uh, and here's I'm going through this now. Okay, I am now at full age Social Security retirement age. Sure. So I applied for it, and now a month later I haven't heard anything. 
Oh, well, that's money you should get. I mean, you paid into it for yeah, all those years. I know, years. that's the point. I did pay into it for all these years. They should be damn quick about giving it back to me, but apparently they're not. Hmm. <laughs> some shady business going on down there in Texas. So anyway, they said it's uh, two to four weeks, and I'm at the four-week mark, so I'm trying to be patient. But Checks uh, in the mail. Uh, no. Uh, things you have to look forward to. If I could have stopped time, I've said this before, if I could have stopped time, I would have stopped it when I turned 40. Okay. Because I was young enough to still go out and play full court pickup basketball and I could do it five days a week and crap didn't hurt. Okay. Okay. And then you're, you're kind of together in your life. You know, you're not a kid anymore Yeah. and you've got some education and you kind of figured out some things, women in particular. Mm. And so I would have stopped at 40. Uh, but you know, you can't, you can't strike that deal. It's, I would have gone with 35 myself because 35 was a pretty good year. Um, and then it's just kind of, it's like, what, what is this? Is that a tire around my, my waist? <laughs> How did that happen? Uh, well, last August I got COVID and lost about, I don't know, 15 pounds in two weeks. And so I've been able to keep it off. That's, that's uh, I wouldn't recommend that as a diet. No, no, but it, but it, it did work. I'll say that. Hey, by the way, October is national pizza month. Did you know that we're into October and it's national pizza month as opposed to, uh, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, and November, and December. Uh, and what better way to celebrate them with Palermo's, Wisconsin's hometown pizza? Whether you choose Palermo's, Connie's, Urban Pie, or Screaming Sicilian, Palermo's makes a pizza for every occasion. You can find them in your local grocery store's freezer. Palermo's flavor is our family's business. And with uh, the Packers kicking off at 8.30 Sunday morning in London, I recommend Oh, I don't know. Palermo's for breakfast. Why not? And we last hour, we touted those breakfast pizzas mm -hmm. that Palermo's puts out now. If you haven't tried one, try it. You will not be sorry. Guaranteed. Yeah. And again, I remember you were, you were still in the studio and I think it was you, me and Brainerd when the first time we ever tried one of those. And I don't know about this. I love Palermo's pizza. I love the, you know, pepperonis, my jam. I don't. This isn't gonna. All right, I'll try one, and it was it was fantastic. And I, I'm I wouldn't call myself a pizza snob. Some other people might call me a pizza snob, my wife. Um, but I just like just give me simple pepperoni, and I'm good to go. But the concoctions that these people come up with, ah, oh, perfect, just wonderful. And it's made right here in Wisconsin, made right here in Milwaukee. Love it. As a, an addition to every NFL game, here's my hope: if I were commissioner of the world, I would make this happen right now. I would get a company to put up some money and they could be the sponsor of it. And I would make it worthwhile for people. I would say maybe $25,000 and what it would be at some point during the game, uh, you would run onto the field like that guy with the pink smoke last night in the Monday, the Monday night game. Uh, and one of the players on the opposing team or any team would get a chance to deplete you. Okay. <laughs> like Bobby Wagner did to the guy with the pink smoke. And this could be an addition, an added entertainment value to an NFL game. And it would be like the movie Jackass, because I guarantee you people would be willing to do it for $25,000. You run out there and somebody gets to clean your clock. What do you think, Doug? Do you have it. an idea? Yeah. That, that, you know what? Sometimes you come up with ideas that just kind of seem a little bit out there, but then when you put it all together, ah, this makes sense. Because you know that there's going to be somebody, and I have identified Buffalo Bills fans as perhaps the craziest. 
And when I say craziest, they take flying leaps almost as a uh, like in a, a ceremony that if you're not a real Bills fan, you haven't been inducted into the Bills family of fandom yet until you take a flying leap onto a table and bust it in the center. <laughs> um, so I think that there are probably some Buffalo Bills fans that would take you up on this offer just so they could get clocked uh, at Ralph Wilson Stadium or whatever they're calling it now. Uh, the other idea I had was to perk up the NBA All-Star game. You make uh, you make some cash incentive uh, involved in this. And I would get a company, a bank or whatever, to put up the money. And I think you have 15 players on the All-Star team. Mm-hmm. So the winning All-Star team, whether it be, uh, you know, they divide them up now, Team LeBron or Team Giannis, the winning team for the All-Star uh, game in the NBA would each get a million dollar bonus handed to them right there in cash in a like a in a in a briefcase and you wheel the briefcases out onto the court there are 15 of them inside is a million dollar each and each player comes up and grabs their million dollar briefcase (laughs) that would spice it up that would spice (laughs) it up the nhl their all-star game is three on three hockey i don't know if you need to have three on three hockey i've got an idea to spice it up two pucks that's all I got. Ah, all I got. Drop yeah. the mic and walk off stage. Two pucks. <laughs> uh, we got ideas and nobody's going to pay attention. <laughs> I know. Uh, you know, you want to spice up the baseball all-star game instead of a warning track? Build a moat. <laughs> <laughs> or have have like uh, one play a game where Pete Rose smashes into Ray Fossey. Like somebody really just, you know, blast somebody. Sure. Yeah. Again, nobody's going to listen. I know these hey. are these are golden ideas, Ted. Come on. Uh. Oh, good bump music, and of course, this is the Tim Allen walk-up music. You know him from the post-game show with the Brewers, and having a stranglehold on the last wild card spot, the Philadelphia Phillies, and. You know what they say, there's always next year, and it's painful to have it in this way. So Tim Allen joins us now on the Stone Innovations talk and text line at 414-799-1973. As you you look at the autopsy of what has now become of this season, what stands out most? I mean, most people look at the hater trade and go, that was the turning point, but what say you? Yeah, they, uh, Ted, it's, it's good to be with you guys. And it's been a long time since we've had a conversation, Ted Davis. So, mm-hmm. uh, quite, quite, uh, the honor to, to chat with you. And, and certainly, Doug, you're all over Brewers baseball as well. But, you know, uh, what's going to stick out? You, we heard Christian Yelich last night talk about, uh, he used the word shock after that Yelich trade. Shock in terms, uh, or after the hater trade. Shock in terms of what was going on in the clubhouse. Now, you know, I, I get, um, you know, losing a, a teammate like that, you you develop relationships, and your wives may be close, and the kids are hanging out, and you might be going fishing or having dinner on the road or a beer or two here and there. But my goodness, shock! But yet you turn around, and the ball players are the first to say, "Well, this is a business. We have to understand this is a business." So that could have, and I think most people will point to that, Ted that it was the hater, the timing of that, and then you look at the record and the style of play after that. I look at the offense. If We all as fans, I, th- I think I can speak on behalf of many fans. As fans, we always want the villain. We want someone to blame. 
We, we need an excuse. We, well, this is why. We try and put our finger on it because it makes us feel better. If I'm going to do that, I put the offense at the top of that list. In the that, offense is first. In that same vein, can they fire Andy Haynes again? You know, I, 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 I really, I mean, you, you, got, you got two or three hitting coaches now, and, and maybe it's the assembly of and the construction of that roster, Doug, offensively, that it just, as counsel would say oftentimes, it, it just didn't play. It just didn't play. It just didn't, in other words, it didn't play out. Uh, you have to assume that uh, a lot of the responsibility, because the pitching has been okay, a lot of the responsibility comes on the offense. And then after that, I would say that it's, well, it's Craig Council. Because the bullpen, I'm, I'm going to defend all offseason long. And I know I'm going to get some, some backlash on this. The bullpen guys had been overworked to the point they made one slip up and the game was over. And bullpen guys, back-end leverage guys, that's what happens in those games. But when you're playing 3-2-2-1 games every single night, it's got to be grinding on you. And then the one time where, you know, a Hobie Milner or a Trevor God or a Taylor Rogers or a, a Matt Bush, every single time they give up a run or two, the game is over and they look like the villain. Uh-uh. This is on the offense, then counsel's decision-making, and then I'll go bullpen. Uh, talking to Tim Allen, Tim Allen Rance of the postgame show. So I, I said earlier, I don't think you overreact to this. I don't think you start getting out the broom and, and, and sweeping people out, and I'm including counsel and, of course, David Stearns. But what, what would, what's your reaction to that? What would you do? Yeah, I, Stearns has, has – it's been remarkable in terms of the uh, overall organization. Now, did another year go by without a World Series title? Yes. Check that box. Not pleased about that. 52 years now on the, on the slate here, and another year goes by. But when you look at, say, the Seattle Mariners, what they did the other day, they walked off to get into the playoffs for the first time since 2001. 21 years they went. Brewers know what that's about. They won 26. New York Mets, with all that money, made the playoffs for the first time this year in six years. In that six years, the Brewers have made the playoffs four times. They really did. The inception of this turnaround was Doug Melvin, and he handed that baton to David Stearns, and he took it and he ran with it. David Stearns absolutely deserves a one-off. And we had a couple of calls last night on the show, guys, that fire Stearns and fire Council and clean it all up. I agree with you, Ted. Don't do any of the above. They deserve a one-off here, don't you think? I mean, you're looking at, what, 96 wins. Well, first of all, you won 80, 86 and 17, 96 and 18, 89 and 19, then the pandemic shortened season 20, 95 again last year, 85 with two to play here this year. Those are pretty decent numbers, guys. You can't mess that up. Go, go at it again next year. Yeah, I don't disagree. And to be absolutely clear, in no way, shape, or form do I think the Brewers should fire Craig Council or David Stearns. I think that that's ludicrous. I will say this, however. I would rather have fans that are calling for somebody's head that still care as opposed to the apathy that we've seen at certain points in Brewers fandom as well when there were 4,000 fans during uh, any April game at County Stadium in the mid to late 1990s. And the bar has been set. I mean, yeah. t- they, they played, you know, my old 
uh, mantra, make September relevant. I don't remember the last September that wasn't relevant. Was it during the Ken Maka era? Was it the first couple of years of the Craig Council era? They've played good baseball deep into the year, but in 2017, they took it right down to the last series of the season. This year, they took it right down to the last series of the season. They're playing baseball that is meaningful baseball deep into the year, and that should count for something. Yeah, and it's tough, Doug, to figure out you know, why the, the fan attendance or the fan interest uh, that weaned a little bit here this year and, and, you know, you can't, guys. Um, I, I've gotten myself into trouble over the years trying to tell people how to be a fan. <laughs> fans are going to be fans Fair the enough. way they determine, right? And But it is a head-scratcher to me. One side of me says, boy, it's a great situation that expectations were so high that just your run-of-the-mill pennant race in September just wasn't good enough, you know? that's That might be a good thing. On the other hand... Boy, do you remember where we came from, folks? We came from 26 years of no playoffs and irrelevant baseball uh, in September and most August, let's face it. I think it was when when Yelich said it last night, they, they couldn't create their own identity this year. That, to me, stuck out as well. And that was part of this. Doug, Ted, I think in years past you had things that to grasp with with the Milwaukee Brewers. You You had an identity. You had... You know, a brawn and a fielder, and they had their little dances, and Jesus Aguilar was the lovable big man. And, you know, you had Eric Thames and a wrestler, and you, you had all these things. They tried this year, and it just didn't grab. It didn't grab the, va- the, the clubhouse vest and the Avengers glove and the ring the bell and all these things they tried. They just couldn't grab that casual fan base. And I think that's what Yelich was talking about, to create that identity. I think it was forced. you got to have that organically happen. It just didn't happen this year. Uh, okay, final question, Tim Allen. Um, will Yelich ever get back to even Miami, Florida Marlin <laughs> style of play? <laughs> right, okay. I haven't heard that question yet, but that's a good one. Because we'd take that. We, we would take that. It's it's interesting. Uh, Todd Rosiak, Journal Sentinel, last night, I thought, asked the best question of the night. And he asked, and I'm going to paraphrase here a little bit because we're short on time. But, you know, uh, you know, what did you learn this year and can you about yourself? And can you share some of that with us? Now, that screams to me that Todd has some inside information. First of all, I'm just guessing. But it was a great question. Yelich's answer was even better. And that was. You know, I, I learned a lot. Uh, you learn a lot about yourself on and off the field when you go through this. Down the line, we can talk about that. Down the line, I can share that with you. That, to me, guys, tells me there's something here. Wow. I, I, I don't know what it is, but there's something here. I, we can, we can uh, you know, guess all day long, and conspiracy people have this, uh, that, and the other thing in mind, but that tells me you don't go from way up there in terms of production, to way down here. And I've said there's a story here somewhere. I don't know what it is, though. And that was interesting, guys. All right, Tim. Uh, enjoyed it. And you'll have two more postgame shows. And then uh, before you know it, spring training will be here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How many days till pitchers and catchers report? <laughs> yeah, I haven't counted. 2023 championship <laughs> season can't get here soon enough. <laughs> hey, glad to have you on the staff at 97.3 The Game. You're a big addition. Thank you, Ted. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Tim. All right. uh, nobody breathes and bleeds baseball more than him. He's the best. I'm, I'm so fortunate that uh, we have him on uh, 97.3 The Game in Milwaukee after Brewers games. I worked with him at the other place, 
And, uh, you know, I, I tagged him with the, the nickname The Franchise, and I did that for a reason because, boy, I tell you what, uh, you know, his postgame show was the place to be, and once again is the place to be. If you want to commiserate, if you want to celebrate, if you want to just bitch about some things, that's the place to do it. The uh, Realty Executives Baseball Postgame Show with Tim Allen. A Tuesdays with Ted edition of the Mike Heller Show on 97.3 The Game in Milwaukee and statewide on the Game Radio Network. Thought we'd bring some highlights to you right here on the Doug Russell Podcast. Coming up later on the week, we'll have a full Packers preview. The Packers, uh, as I sit here, actually I'm recording this inside Lambeau Field, but uh, they are getting on a plane tomorrow to head to London. We'll have a chance to go speak with Aaron Rodgers later on today. He has not yet met the media at his locker. I'll get down there uh, in about, uh, as I tape this, in about two or so hours right after practice. And then we'll bring you those comments uh, to you on our weekend edition of the show. And we'll have a full preview, again, of the Packers and the Giants. Both teams 3-1 and one on the season heading to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. All right, that's it for this Anything Goes Wednesday edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. We'll talk to you next time.